Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, to my esteemed guest and, and so many listeners from around the globe, welcome again to uh, an evening that, that holds for me and so many others profound significance. Tonight, we are celebrating more than just a podcast and radio show. Uh, we are celebrating an 11-year journey of enlightenment, exploration, and the relentless pursuit of ideas. I am honored to stand and be the host of the Perkins Platform podcast with this incredible milestone. Uh, for over a decade, the Perkins Platform podcast has been uh, a place for substantive discourse. Um, we've had igniting conversations that are not only been challenging uh, our viewpoints, but uh, have propelled us to evolve intellectually. And it's been my privilege to be on this voyage of curiosity, uh, which is also uh, a voyage of learning and an exchange uh, that goes beyond geographical and ideological boundaries. Uh, with well over 60,000 unique downloads each episode from all over the globe, Countries like India, Thailand, Brazil, Colombia, United Kingdom, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Senegal, Qatar, New Zealand, and Indonesia, to name a few. People from all over the globe are tuned in and are listening to ideas about leadership. And so tonight is not unlike others. Uh, except that it is our 11th anniversary, we have two exceptional guests that are authors and professors. And so I'm pleased to introduce to you uh, Dr. Gretchen Oltman and Dr. Vicki Bautista. Welcome, Gretchen and Vicki. Well, thanks, Brian, and congratulations on 11 years. That's quite a milestone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I have a number of people who have said to me, there were podcasts 11 years ago? I was like, yeah, there were. Uh, interesting thing about how uh, the podcast got started was that I used to travel quite frequently, and I would come back, and I had a group of colleagues that I would always say, guess who I met and who I spoke to today? It might be on an airplane, or it might be standing in line to uh, get food or refreshments, and and I'd tell a story about the conversation I'd have. And so one of my colleagues, kind of joking at first, just said, um, you should have a, a television show, and it should be, where in the world is Brian Perkins? And we kind of laughed it off, and he came back. He said, you know, there's this new thing, and it's called a podcast. You should try doing that. And so I listened uh, to a few, and I said, let me try it. And dare I say, life hasn't been the same. Um, I do, I, and I should, uh, acknowledge someone who in recent years has become a significant part is my uh, program uh, associate, Kerrigan Smoot, 
who you've uh, heard from as well, who helps me coordinate and keep people um, scheduled. And, and so a special thank you over the last few years to having uh, Kerrigan as a part of the staff uh, to, to produce these, these podcasts and shows. And so tonight, uh, for those of you just joining in, we have uh, Gretchen Altman and Vicki Bautista, who are authors of a book uh, that is kind of a leadership guide called What's Your Leadership Story? Although this is written because uh, the subtitle is A School Leader's Guide to Align Aligning How You Lead with Who You Are. Be quite honest with you, I, I have seen application for this in leadership generally. So I know there are a lot of people that listen in from different, uh, different leadership contexts. And so I want them to also know about this book. Um, but I'll start by just asking either of you to jump in and tell me, um, tell me a little bit about how you developed this book and what was your original aim? I know I think it's clearly uh, in the title, you're talking about school leadership, but what was your goal? Sure. Well, this is Gretchen, um, and I'm a professor at Creighton University, and um, Vicki and I both work with leadership students, both going into graduate programs and kind of working with students as they graduate. My background is in education, so I've been a lifelong educator, first as a high school teacher, then um, in university settings. I'm also an attorney, so I have kind of an understanding of different career fields. And as we were working with our graduate students, we started to see that no matter how much we educated students on leadership and people getting degrees in leadership, as they were graduating, we would then ask them, okay, so what kind of leader are you? What, what's your philosophy about leadership? And they had a really hard time putting words to that. Uh -huh. And so we thought, well, if people are leaving graduate programs like this, then what are leaders in the world? How do they talk about their own leadership? And as we started to ask around and just kind of talk to different leaders, we found some interesting trends, and one of those being that most leaders, and Brian, you can back me up on this or not, many or most leaders end up in leadership accidentally. Yeah, and that's so true. very few people are actually trained to be leaders. It's kind of something like you were the best person in the office for this, or you happen <laughs> to fall into a role. Right, and so right. then you Life end up doing thing, that. Right? Exactly. Then you end up doing that backwards training where oh, now I suddenly have all these responsibilities and I need to figure out how do I do them and how do I do them effectively and what kind of leader do I want to be? And so we started to put together this framework kind of of different assessments and kind of steps that we could walk our students through, but through application really became more prominent within professional leadership, within people that are in leadership positions like school principals, superintendents, college deans. As you said, this could really go into multiple disciplines. And just having people examine their own histories in order to better articulate who they are as leaders today. And I think that's one of the unique things I think that we've discovered along the way is that every leader has a unique story, but we spend very little time trying to understand who our leaders are, what kind of history they have, what kind of jobs they've had, who they are personally. We make assumptions about leaders when they get a title. And so we assume, you know, when you become a school superintendent, you're going to behave this way, you're going to drive this kind of car, you're going to do this kind of behavior, top-down leadership behavior. When in reality, when we get to know a leader, we find out um, things about them that make them more human, that make their decisions more clear to us, 
and that really make them more relatable and really collegial in ways that we can collaborate better. Yeah, good. The other thing that we had discussed when we started this whole pro process of creating the framework is we had looked through lots of different books and blogs and research on philosophies, and we just didn't find anything that fit what we were looking for because we wanted it to be something that was meaningful to those that were going to go through the process of figuring out who they were based on their leadership style, their core values, their mindset and life experiences. Those were all important concepts that we thought would be relevant to sharing who you are as a leader. And my background is health and wellness coaching. And so a lot of times when um, you're reflecting and you're brainstorming goals, you have to look back at who you were to get to where you want to be. And this process of writing your leadership philosophy is really spending time with who you are as a person and exploring those things and putting them into a story that you can share with those that you're leading uh, in multiple capacities. And so what's really great about it, like you had mentioned during your intro, is that we've taken this framework and we've shared it with lots of other career fields, so IT, nursing, health and wellness professions, and a lot of folks have really gravitated towards this because, like Gretchen said, when you get put in a leadership role, you usually have a to-do list with multiple things that you need to get done. And the last thing is really to explain who you are as a leader. So this framework helps figure out how to explain that to other people. Absolutely. And and I, I could see why, as I went through it, uh, why it resonated so with me, uh, because I I believe that it's very important for a leader to understand who they are first in their leadership journey. Uh, we have, as a part of our framework uh, for the master, I, I direct a master's degree program in school leadership, uh, Know Thyself. Is, we've adopted that as uh, a part of where we have our students start in the first year, that it's an exploration. You really have to know who you are. And what I appreciated so much in your, your book was that you really dedicate a lot of time to having students reflect on things like what's important to them. Uh, I've done this values, uh, one, as one example, the values exercise that you have there that in your book where you ask people to consider what are the values that are important to them. And I use this as a kind of... Uh, a card exercise. You've probably seen it that way before, too, where people lay out a set of cards and they contemplate the cards, very similar to what you, you have where you ask people to look at the words and identify the words that most resonate with them. What I find over all these years of doing that exercise that is so um, uh, poignant is that uh, people have rarely, if ever, just spent 20 minutes reflecting alone on what's important to them. Now, we sometimes it's done from the perspective of just they'll ask the question, what's important to you? And then we rattle off, here are the things that are important. But it has so much more meaning when you look at words that stimulate memories and thoughts and then have you uh, say, this is what's important to me. And I always tell people that I lead in this 
exercise when it's all over. It's really not about where you end up with the five or three that you might decide are the most uh, important uh, for you. It's the reflection time. Um, and so how did you get to uh, that reflection was important? Was that something you saw uh, or that people, people indicated for you was, was important to them? Well, we know that reflection is um, an important life skill, and we happen to teach at a Jesuit institution where that's part of our culture as well, where mm-hmm. um, the Ignatian um, examine of going through your, your life each day and kind of examining the moments of what's good and what, what happened today and what can I learn from today are important pieces to being a fulfilled and whole human. And so we think that as leaders, leaders aren't immune from any of, of the problems that we have or any of the issues that are, are faced by anyone today. And so we know that um, when a leader is in touch with who they are, they understand, like you said, those core values. If they've identified what those are at a time that's not a high-stress time or a high-pressure time, but they've actually given that time to thought about what do I truly value and what is unchanging about that, then when it becomes a time of pressure or challenge or difficulty, they know where they are. They don't have to go into that reflective moment at that point in time. They can then act and know that they're acting authentically and and in a true and honest way. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that reflection is just such an important part of being um, involved in your life and being aware and alive. And too many times we just get through life, like Vicki said, we have these to-do lists, and we look at accomplishing the next thing. We think leadership should be much more than that and should really encompass the notion of who am I today and how am I growing and how am I helping other people grow and to be leaders as well. And reflection is a key part of that. It's something we don't take enough time for, and it actually has a process to it. And, and that's kind of one thing we're trying to promote there is that notion of you do have to stop, you have to slow things down a little bit, and you have to just be comfortable with those thoughts in your head and that discomfort of maybe not having all the answers right now. Yeah. And that can be really difficult for some people. Yeah. And I also think, too, with my background um, in health and wellness, um, somebody can say my core value is truth, and if you spend time being a little bit curious about that, what does that mean to you? And having that conversation with somebody else that might say that their core value is also truth. It's also been really fun when we do this um, presentations live going through the personal leadership philosophy process and we have two people in the audience identify the same core value and as they explain what it means to them it's totally different even though it's the same word so just spending time being curious too what those words mean I think is an important part of exploring your values Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so uh, because your values are a really significant part of who you are, how you show up. A lot of times uh, people uh, really think of their leadership title as who they are, uh, mm-hmm. and, and they try to live up to a title. What, what's your advice to people who are, who are trying to figure out how, how, they, how should they show up as leaders? Well, like you said, leadership isn't about a title. And so we always break down that barrier first is to know that no matter what your title is, 
everybody within an organization is leading. And so we, we use the context of schools to think about this. But we know that the custodian is doing a role within a school that is important to the function of that school and is making leadership decisions on their own that impact student learning, that it can impact how a school functions. We know the person answering the phone is doing the same thing, is putting a face out to the community, and that can impact how people interact with the school and how people resonate with the school. Um, so we think that the notion of a title, first of all, has to be dismissed, but really the notion of who you are as a leader um, should really be an authentic self showing up. So not that mm -hmm. you're, you, don't, you, aren't, you don't have to fill someone else's shoes because you have that title now. Um, and oftentimes that's what we feel like when we get a new position is, well, I need to figure out how I'm going to fill that person's shoes that was here before, but also bring my own new angle to it. Um, our process really allows you to be yourself. And what we've seen is kind of as pe we walk people through this process is almost a sense of relief that overcomes them as they walk through this and realize, oh, I don't have to be somebody else. I can be me. And I can be the same person who maybe my first job was as a waitress in a restaurant, and now I'm the dean of a college, and who would believe that this is happening? But they can embrace that totality of their history and how their families raised them and how they interacted with their community growing up and the type of schooling they had, and all of those things become valid and present. And when we bring them forward into decision-making, it really helps our colleagues who seek to understand what are you trying to do as a leader? What's your aim here? What's your mission? But when we understand who the person is, we better understand why the decisions are being made they are, how they're being made, and how we can better relate to that process. So it really does build a more collaborative process. And just that sense of being able to be who you are is so freeing for some people. And it's been so interesting to see, um, to kind of see that kind of wash over the face of someone who's thinking, I need to pretend to be someone just to, so people believe in my leadership. Yes. And this notion, I'm, so, I'm sorry, so, so glad to hear you say that, the notion of showing up as your authentic self, for people who have tuned in regularly, they've heard that a lot over the past year. Right. I, I, yeah. I mean, what, I've, what you just said really should hit home for a lot of people that have listened in, because so many of the guests in different contexts have said the exact same thing about how you, that there no, you, you really can't show up at home one way and at work a different way and, you know, and some other, some other point. Sorry, I interrupted. That's a lot of pressure. If you're changing roles that many times, that's a lot of pressure on your life. You'd have to take notes of who you are at what place. Yes, yes. I was just going to say that a lot of times when we say and when we're talking with folks going through the different components of the leadership philosophy, that this isn't something like who we aspire to be. It's using what we already know about ourselves to create the leadership philosophy because showing up as your authentic self is who people want. And they'll know if you're not who you say you are in your actions and the way that you behave on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's not when you're putting together either your – a lot of this has grown out of the backgrounds of teaching philosophies. It's who you show up as um, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not who you aspire to be. That's a vision statement. This is a philosophy statement of who you are um, based on the framework that we created. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you, so you mentioned – uh, a leadership philosophy. I, did, I, I do want to get to that, um, but I do also want to say that I teach a class 
that is uh, introduction to school leadership and, well, it's introduction to leadership and decision-making. And, and what I often find that when I get to the section where I'm talking about leadership styles, there are a number of students year after year that go, like, wow, I didn't really realize that I, I really need to figure out what style is best for me, what's natural for me, what complements my personality, and what, what style I, w- I, want to, um, I want to display when I'm in a leadership role and how do I shift that. Uh, and, and then moving forward to the point where we ask them to consider what is your leadership philosophy? That mm-hmm. is an entirely different matter that is very difficult. And, and so when, what I realized later is that so I'm dealing with aspiring leaders for the most part that are in my program, but then when I've coached and, and helped other leaders that have been leaders for decades and then asked them the same thing, so tell me, what is your leadership philosophy? There are a lot of people that cannot articulate their leadership philosophy. That's very true, and what we, we found out as well, and one of the things that surprised us is that you get a lot of fluffy words. So a lot of aspirational statements, you know, I, I want to be this, and I, wanna, I hope I'm like, you know, all, always understanding and kind of things that you think, wow, if you can do that all the time, you're amazing. But when we figured out if, if we can teach people in a short way, kind of like the elevator speeches that we teach students in speech class or when we think about LinkedIn profiles, if we can get people to kind of find ways to compact that and have it ready, then it really does empower them to be able to share that in those moments. And most people, as you said, just haven't thought about it and haven't gone through the process of thinking about what makes up a philosophy and what does it mean, as opposed to just being aspirational and, and my dreams and hopes for my career, but what does it mean today? Mm-hmm. So tell me, how do you get people to reflect on making a decision about their philosophy? You know, one of the most interesting exercises we do is to talk about people's first jobs. So, um, Brian, what happened to be your, your first job in life? If if I go all the way back, um, right. I won't I won't say when this was, but I um, I um, was entering addresses and phone numbers for a political campaign in the early days into a uh, what then was a database. So I was, people would fill out these little cards, and I I would put it into a database for them to refer to later. Okay, so you worked for an organization where that's what your job was, was kind of a typist, data entry person. So as you think back on that job, what did you learn at that job being one of your first jobs? What what did you learn about leadership in that job? That uh, training is a very important important aspect of the successful organization. Did you have training there? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's one of those examples of I wish I would have and yes, a good yes. leader would have done better in this regard. Yes. 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 
So we like to talk to people about their first jobs, and it's kind of interesting to talk to leaders in particular because it's often going back in time and talking about jobs that you really don't imagine people having. So we've talked to people that have been mascots at theme parks, that have worked in cookie factories assembling cookies together, um, all sorts of different jobs. And one thing we find is that as a universal experience, it seems, people have from that first job ideas about leadership that started forming very young. And so we like to engage in that conversation, and that not only opens that door to reflecting back on their history, their work history, but also kind of their history as a human. Like I started out as the theme park mascot at Disneyland, and then I did this, and I went to college and did this and kind of worked through different jobs. But yet I still have some of those lessons that I learned at my very first job with me today. So we ask people to kind of reflect back on their lives but also to reflect on where they learn different leadership lessons along the way and how they would change some of those along the way. So when you think back about your data entry job, Brian, what, what is it about that job that you still have, hold with you today? Yeah, I, I think that's it, just the, how important it, it is to make sure people really know how to do the job they've been asked to do. And think about how that impacts the people that you work with then. And the -hmm. the fact that you're going to be somebody who pays attention to that and is careful about making sure that when we onboard somebody that they do have training, that training is present, that they are Mm -hmm. tended to, that we've paid attention to the details in terms of how we onboard someone. Those are things that we carry with us, maybe even unknowingly, that um, as we ask people to reflect, they then carry those lessons into the jobs that they're doing today, and in particular in how they lead and how they treat other people through their leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sense. always a great conversation to start uh, when we're talking about leadership philosophies to think back to those experiences and how much they really um, made our path in leadership relevant to today. Um, so how do you think um, your students, if you ask them questions like this, what was your first job and how is it impacting how you are as a student and your career goals? Um, how do you think they would respond to that? Yeah, you know, that that's a really interesting question because what I challenge my students to do is to think about kind of briefly about the experience they had, but also to be very aware that in a lot of ways it's the very thing that will hold them back because they're we're 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 talking about in improvement in education and innovation in education and using your previous experience can, if not, if you're not careful, can hold you back. And I Uh think the same applies broadly to leadership, especially in organizations where you're expected to innovate and be creative is that um, you, it's very important to know what those, what was what was so in in the last job you had or in in historically, but from a, for a different reason, not so that you can necessarily build on that, but so that you don't make the same mistakes. And so, um, so to answer your question, that I think a lot of students uh, will reflect both on the things that were positive um, and negative about the. The, their their educational experiences and 
and won't necessarily be acutely aware of how those those um, experiences will hold them back uh, in in ways that they didn't anticipate. Yeah, but you know that's a really good point. Is to think about um, if we're not aware of it, can we actually address how our behavior then is changed by it? Yes. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do think that uh, we, we, and I, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a student once who, who was uh, getting ready to start a school, and, and this was from the ground up, had built this school, and, and she uh, had, had been given a grant from the school district to order furniture. Uh, and so she had been she had been granted a charter to start the school, and she said, uh, um, you know, oh, the, I, I have been given me X thousand dollars to order new furniture. As a part of her design for the school, it was that she was going to have um, uh, collaborative work and project based uh, project based education in the school that was that was the design of the school that's what got her uh, approved and and so in a nutshell when she was given this grant to order furniture she said oh i have to order furniture for my school what do you think the first thing was that she ordered if i say you need classroom furniture what do what do people put in, in classrooms desks desks yes Okay, exactly. That's exactly what she ordered. And then after it was too late, she reflected on the fact that what her experience had been was desk going classrooms and schools. But she was trying to do something different and put together a school that was project-based and collaboration and work groups. And so tables would have been more suitable. But her previous experience had had almost biased her to the point where she couldn't think of what would have been the best answer or the best solution, the best pathway. She did what was previously uh, a part of her experience. So that's, to your point, that's why it's so important to be aware of it. And, you know, that brings up the, a good point about collaborative leadership, too, about the notion of why we need others, that we can't be leaders alone and in solitary because we need people to not only help us make decisions like that but to understand where where might my perceptions and my background be getting in the way and where where are my trusted colleagues that can tell me when that's happening and say oh but you know this is what we were going to do and this is how we wanted to do it differently some we need those people in our leadership and if we aren't authentic and we aren't understood for who we are and known for what we believe, the style we want to lead, and what our true values, our core values are, then, then it's a guessing game, and people will oftentimes will just say things to please you. And as a leader, that's not what we want. We want people to have a clear understanding of who we are, but also where we might have those weak spots. I think that's a great example. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. Leading well, alone it, is not always yes. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, uh, Gretchen made some great points about collaboration, um, and so that's important to consider when you're working um, on projects like that. Yes, uh, often a few people can be 
it's uh, it's very consistent with what we learned a long time ago that um, many heads are greater than one, and so we we want to incorporate that idea into our our leadership style too is to seek the opinions and perspectives and input of other people. Uh, that's important. Uh, for those of you who may have joined late, I uh, had a fantastic uh, conversation with two authors, Gretchen Oltman and Vicki Bautista, uh, who are the authors of What's Your Leadership Story? A School Leader's Guide to Aligning How You Lead with Who You Are. Uh, it's really a workbook of sorts that takes you through as a leader uh, how to consider your experiences, what's important to you, uh, in order to come up with your leadership philosophy. So as I told you, the 30 minutes goes fast. So I'd like, I know there are people out there who would love to know how to follow you in these social media handles, ways that they can reach you, uh, follow you, and encourage you. Uh, Gretchen, Vicki, you want to share any of those uh, for our audience? Sure. Um, yeah, my I'm on Gretchen. Go, oh, go ahead, Vicki. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. I'm on LinkedIn as Vicki Bautista, and then also on Twitter, same uh, Vicki Bautista. And I am Dr. Underscore Oltman on um, Twitter X, whatever it's called these days. Um, and our book is available through ASCD and any um, major bookseller. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate you coming for this conversation. Uh, especially with uh, the work that I do, uh, a number of my students, I'm sure, will be uh, appreciative of what you've added to them because you've added to me as well, uh, wishing you great success. Um, and so I also want to extend my gratitude uh, to the listeners and those of you who have, have come week after week and shared this voyage of 11 years uh, with me and, and my distinguished guests today, uh, all the listeners who have shaped uh, the Perkins Platform podcast into what it is today. Um, and so uh, until next time, go well, stay well. <laughs>